wristbands made up there. They simply say, fighting with Sean on them. From Philippians 4.13 um, is, a, is a verse that cited, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we really just offer them to you this morning. As you, you can pick them out. They're out on one of the counters out there in the lobby. Just to wear it as a prayer reminder to pray for Sean. And I know Sean well enough to know that uh, he's not going to mind if you uh, let it also serve as a reminder to you to pray for other folks that you know that you should be praying for. You know, we have a number of people in our church who are going through a lot of significant things right now. And so you, we invite you to put one of those on and just wear it as a prayer reminder just to be lifting up folks in the life of our fellowship. But particularly, particularly Sean, as he goes through this journey of trying to shrug off leukemia and move on uh, in his journey. So we, we invite you to pick one of those up on your way out today. Now, last week, we started talking about what it means to live successfully. You know, all of us were going down this, this road of life. We realize at some point in time, we're going to come to the end. And when we reach the end, we want the way that we've lived our lives to somehow matter. We want there to be some kind of carryover that we take into the next world. I think all of us accept, and I talked about this last week, that that we don't really know anybody who wants to fail at life. You know, I've never come across anybody who said, "I, I want my life to be miserable. I want there to be no joy. I want there to be no love. I want there to be no victories. I want there to be no hope. When I get down to, you know, when I, when I die, I want the eight people who show up at the funeral who feel obligated to be there to walk out the door and say, good riddance, we're glad to have that person off the planet, you know? And that when I get to the pearly gates, I want God to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I, I've never known anybody like that, have you? I mean, all of us in some way or another have a desire to be successful. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to be successful in some form or another. And, it, and, and certainly, I think the scriptures teach that. The Apostle Paul said, run with the plan to win the prize. Well, what in the world is the prize? How is it that the Scriptures teach us to live successfully? And last week, we, we kind of said, okay, well, let's at least define the target. What's our goal in terms of being successful? And then after we get that down, maybe we can start applying it to various parts of our lives. And we worked through some things with the Apostle Paul out of Philippians chapter 3, and we came up with this definition of success, and it's there in your notes right underneath the introduction. So we came to a conclusion last week that success in life is the ongoing, heartfelt commitment to be the person God intends you to be in every area of your life. That's what success is. It's not achieving a certain goal, you know, level of achievement or whatever, but it's just a sustained, heartfelt, sincere commitment that leads to action to actually be the person that God's intended you to be. Now, I know you well enough because I get to spend enough time with folks here at Hope Chapel, to know that you, you, you guys are a smart troop. And, and, by, and by the time your feet hit the pavement in the parking lot, the thought that's running through your mind is, that's easier said than done, right? I mean, you say, okay, yeah, I get it. That, you know, there could be lots of ways of maybe expressing it, but that's as good a definition of success as you're going to come across. It's just having this prevailing, ongoing life commitment to be the person God wants you to be. But you know what? Just because you know that, it's not easy to live that way. Is it? It's not, is it? I mean, I, I know that that should be my definition of success. I know that should be the thing that my passion's all about, but I don't know about you, but in my world, I get distracted from that all the time. And I want to tell you that not only do I know it, but the one who came out of heaven into this world to make it possible for us to actually live successful lives, Jesus himself knew that you and I were going to face distractions in life from what really matters most. And he gave us some real wisdom about what does it take to stay on purpose. And what, what he teaches is that you and I really need to be careful 
in protecting what we value or what we treasure in our lives. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. I was amazed this week. I went back to this passage of Scripture, and the Sermon on the Mount is probably my favorite three chapters in the Bible. I could literally spend the vast majority of my ministry just preaching out of the Sermon on the Mount. And I've done that several times in my journey. And uh, even here, I spent almost six months one time preaching through the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. But when I went back and looked at this text in Matthew chapter 6 this week, God just opened up some fresh things to me that I had never seen before about what it really takes to live successfully in this world. So whether you've scrolled to that page or whether you've flipped to that page, just follow along. And let me give you some context. Beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the habits that flow from trying to be successful. He's talking about almsgiving, ministering to people in the name of Christ. He's talking about prayer, staying in contact with God, letting God speak into our lives, sharing what's going on in our hearts with God and God interacting with us. He's talked about fasting. You know, and then when he gets to the very end of it, those teachings about these activities, these habits of life, these expressions of our ongoing commitment to become the person God's intends for us to be, listen to what he says in verse 19. This is on page 818 in your pew Bibles. Literally on the heels of it, he says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Some of you have, the, if your eye is healthy, or if your eye is clear, you know, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters. Since either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you, at a single cubit to his height by worrying, why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't, they don't labor. They don't spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear. For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because each because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So here's Jesus and he's teaching the disciples about these spiritual habits that will cultivate an environment for success. These, these things, almsgiving and prayer and fasting, which are cultivating being the person that God intends you to be. And right out of the heels of that, he says, guess what? You're going to face distractions. And with that, you're going to have some real options. I think many of us, though we intuitively know it, we don't operate our lives with this understanding that, that we really have choices to make. We have options before us. But the various competitors for what we treasure or what we value, don't produce equal results. How, how do I get this out of this text? What does Jesus say? Don't, don't lay up. Don't focus 
on earthly treasure, but focus on worldly treasure. I mean, on, on heavenly treasure. You know, um, Jesus, as he's, you know, he says, when you live your life, there's going to be a tremendous, tremendous tendency to focus on the here and now. What you can touch, what you can smell, what you can eat, what you can drink. It's going to be focused. And, and that's what they did. And, and, and here he's talking about these earthly treasures, the things that you can't take with you, but they invested so much in their lives in, in doing. One of the ways that they acquired wealth in those days was through clothes. You know, we, we, you know we, we have more clothes than we can ever wear, and we bag them up, and every once in a while we ship them off to the Goodwill or whatever. But for them, clothes were, were a great treasure. You know, we see a number of examples in the Old Testament, but in particular, when, when um, Elijah's servant Gehazi went after Naaman and said, you know, you know, give me some clothes that I can give it to these others. They, they were prized. Jesus said, you know, you, 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 get, you get all excited about buying a, a, you know, and, and acquiring this fancy garment. And you know what? The moths just can eat it up. And it's toast. Another place where they really found their wealth was in grain. Things like wheat and, and corn and those kinds of things. And so they would try to stockpile it up because it was a great source of wealth. And it was also a security that they could eat well into the future. They weren't going to starve to death. There's only one problem. Mice and those kinds of things. You get right in there and they eat it all up. The vermin, you know, and there's lots of it. And, and he says, you know, you, you base it in it, it's going to get destroyed. What about precious metals? You know, they, 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 gold, silver, precious stones, they would try to acquire those things. They didn't have banks like we do. So they would try to hide them in their houses in places where nobody could find them. And the only difficulty with their houses, the vast majority of them were made out of mud blocks. It's not all that hard to break into a house made out of mud blocks. All you need is a shovel, you know? You can just kind of get around the back and just start, and in you go. So then some of the people would go out and they'd bury it out in a field. You know, they go out under the cover of darkness. They go out and they find some buck, big stone and they take five steps to the west and, you know, four more to the north and they dig this hole and they pour everything in and then they forget where they left it, you know. Or, or they, and that's why Jesus says, you know, you're out, you're digging in a field, you're getting ready for corn, you find this treasure, you, you cover it back up and you say, I was only leasing this land, but I want to buy this land because there's a huge treasure out there. I mean, you know, we spend all this stuff. So you've got this option. He said, but the other option is heavenly treasure. Stuff like faithfulness and obedience. Acting in grace and compassion to others in the name of Christ. Growing your love for God. Those kinds of things. Those kinds of things you can take with you. Those are options you have. But you need to understand that those options don't produce the same results. You don't get the same return on investment with those things. You invest in earthly treasure, the rust, the moths, the thieves, can take it all away from you. You invest in eternal things, the things of God, those are going to last forever. Part of the way that you and I stay on purpose is knowing that the investment we're making really makes a difference. I did a little math. You know, Steve Jobs passed this week, right? And one of the, one of the articles was, what, what if you, had, what if you had, had, had taken the money that you invested in, in, in buying every single one of the products that, that um, Apple ever produced, going back to his very first product up to the last one that just came out, the iPhone 4S or whatever. He said, if you had bought all of those products, you might have spent a little over a half million dollars on stuff. But if instead of that, you had taken that half million dollars and each time a new product came out, you bought Apple stock, your stock would have been worth $11 million. Or say, instead of buying stock in Enron, you bought stock at $9 a share in Apple back in the 1980s. And $5,000 would be Zippo with Enron or Bernie Madoff or anybody else, but $5,000 would be worth almost a quarter of a million dollars now in Apple. The way we invest makes a difference, doesn't it? Jesus says, you know what? you've got to have choices. Your life is going to be full of choices, but you've got to know how you invest is going to determine what returns you're going to get. So staying on purpose, we need to understand that. 
Then he goes on to say, the choices that you make are driven by what you treasure or value. The choices that you make are driven by what you value or treasure. What does he say here as he's teaching through this, this passage? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your life's going. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. What you value is where your life's going to go. That's not hard for us to figure out. It just isn't. You know, some guys, because they value being, you know, woodworking, they'll spend $10,000 on building a wonderful woodworking shop. Somebody else, they love to sew. So they're willing to buy one of these $10,000 computerized sewing machines so they can do all kinds of incredible things. I wouldn't spend my money in either one of those. So I'd go buy a $10,000 motorcycle, you know? I mean... Because we have different values, right? It drives our choices. Some of you, when you think about a vacation, you want to head to a log cabin in the mountains where there's no electricity, no phones, no water, no nothing. Other folks, they want to head to New York City where you can't get away from people. I mean, we're all different, aren't we? We, we, you know, But the choices we make are driven by what we value. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we, we need to understand that the choices we're making in our lives... Tell us exactly what we treasure in our lives. That's why it's, it really is, it, it may sound cliche but it's really interesting just to look through your checkbook and see where your money's going. Because that'll tell you what you value, good or bad. But if you and I are going to stay on purpose, we've got to let our choices communicate to us and show us what it is that we really value and see if we need a transformation of heart. I'm also looking at this text. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You need to understand that every choice that you make has an opportunity cost that goes with it. Well, where do I get this out of this text? Again, we're, we're looking at it through this sample of how do we stay on purpose as we move forward. Look at verse 24. It says, no one can be a slave of two masters. Right? You've got to make a choice. You sign up with one, you sign up with the other. You can't do both. I think of it this way, you know. You, you take a, a five- or six-year-old boy to Toys R Us, and you give him $10. And you say, you can buy whatever you want with that $10. So they spend an hour and a half wandering through the store, you know. And by the time they get down to the end, they got to narrow it narrowed down. They got, a, they got a Nerf gun they would really like. You know, they got a Thomas the Tank Engine board game they'd really like. Or they get this really cool-looking Batman costume they like to wear for Halloween. And, 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 and they stand and say, I got $10. I can only have one. Whatever choice they make, there's a cost to it, right? Because you have one, but you can't have the other two. That's the way we live life. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That expression's been around for how long? Jesus said, you, you, you can't serve God and mammon. You cannot find peace, security, your identity, those kinds of things in what you have and also in God. It's one or the other. Now, you can choose to find your identity, your hope, your peace, your purpose, your direction, your values in God, and you may still have some possessions, but you, those two things are mutually exclusive. There's an opportunity cost. You want to see that at work? Just go read the story of the rich young ruler, right? Here's a guy who's, who's got all kinds of stuff, but he really wants to, to have God in his life. And Jesus says, you know what? You haven't struggled enough with this opportunity cost. You need to go sell all that you have because that's what you're really investing in. That's what you're trusting. That's what you value. You need to go sell all that you have and just come walk with me. And the scripture says he went away sad. You, you and I, if, if we're going to be people who stay on purpose, we need to understand that every choice that we make driven by the values that we hold, has a spiritual opportunity cost. We need to make sure we're making the right ones. One last kind of truth, unpacked in several different ways, that jumps to me from this passage. Is it staying on purpose? Making sure we value the right things really takes discipline. It takes real discipline. It's, it's not a term that we like very much in the 21st century, is it? 
the idea of being disciplined, eh, you know, it's, it, it's not a concept that we like to sign up with. But if you and I are going to maintain a firm grasp on what really we should treasure for all eternity, we've got to be disciplined. It comes out in several different ways in this text. See, we need to main, maintain a disciplined focus, a disciplined focus on what matters most. Look at these verses in verse 22. Then the, the language here may be strange to us. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. You know, we don't think that way anymore. But in the days of, the, of, the, of Jesus, the, they, they thought of the eyes as like the window to the body. And so some of the times they use that idea, that concept, to talk about the fact like the, the eyes were like windows that let the light in. So if, you had, if your eyes were clear, if you had good, healthy eyes, lots of light could come flooding in. But if you had dirty, grungy windows with lots of mud on them or whatever, and curtains, you know, there wasn't much light getting in, and you'd be dark. Sometimes they use the imagery to say that the eyes were like a, were like a, like a flashlight that shoots out a beam from us, and so if you have a really bright beam, you can really see the world around you, but if your batteries are run down and there's no light coming out, you're just wandering around in the darkness. But it's interesting that underneath that term clear or healthy, that the root word that Jesus uses is there is the word single or simple. When you and I have just a single focus on what we should really treasure and we're disciplined to maintain that focus, we can sustain what we really treasure. I learned something about myself this week. I'm, I'm not only fat in the waist, I have fat eye nerves this week. I, I, I went to a test on Thursday morning. They, they you know, my... I had my eyes tested recently, and I'm getting more blind and all that kind of good, wonderful stuff that comes with being 50 and over and that kind of stuff. But, and, and so they wanted to test to see if I was getting glaucoma. And so they, I went in for this test, and at the end of the day, they're showing me many pictures and say, well, both of your eye nerves are fat. But it's, since they're both kind of equally fat, it's probably physiological, and you're not getting glaucoma. But they ran this test for me, right? So that's why I think it's just, it's just written into my DNA that I'm just going to... No, but... I'm starting to rationalize now, am I not? So I go into this test, on, on, and, and what they have you do is they, they put something over one eye, and then you just stare at this orange little light in the middle, right? And then, all, and then they, they have little flashes go around the periphery. And every time you see a light, while you're, you're supposed to be staring with that one eye just at the little orange thing in the middle, every time you see something in the periphery you know, light up, you're supposed to just click this button. Darn, if, if, if every time a light went off in the corner, if I didn't have to look over it with my eye, you know, I was going, you're supposed to have maintained the single focus just on the orange thing. And I failed the test with the right eye. <laughs> you know, and, but I, isn't that the struggle we have in life? You know, we, we, we sit down and we say, okay, I'm going to have the singular focus on this sustained, ongoing commitment to be the person God wants me to be. And then all these lights are flashing all over our lives and our eyes are going everywhere. He said, man, if, if, if you're going to live successful, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to single in and just have singular vision. You know, it was interesting. When I was in, 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 in seminary, I went to school in Texas. And, and one of the guys in my preaching class, he had this text from Matthew to to, to deliver his sermon to. It's, it's really fun to preach a sermon when everybody's sitting out there with a pen and pencil trying to mark all the things you did wrong, you know, based upon what you studied. But I'll never forget, he, says, he said, most of us are living our lives like a one-eyed cat trying to watch two mouse holes. <laughs> now that imagery gets through to you, doesn't it? You can think of this, this poor mouse, he's standing there going, you know, it's just, you've got to have this singular focus. 
Man, he said, if, if you're going to live a successful life, you're going to be disciplined and keep your eye on the prize. It's got to be clear. It's got to be healthy. You also have to actively translate your beliefs into practice, into lifestyle. This whole passage about the lilies of the field and the birds of the sky, you know what you believe about God, right? God cares about you. God loves you. God's going to provide for you. Don't worry. Just trust. But we get all distracted because we can't translate what we believe into practice, right? Well, God's not worrying about this stuff, so I better be worried about it. So we take it all back. And so we're trying to keep our eyes on the little orange dot in the middle, but we keep focusing on all the stuff around us because that stuff's really important. Somebody's going to care about it. And I tell you, it's a great challenge for us to take what God's told us about who he is and about who we are and how he's going to work in our lives and what our lives are all about and what we're supposed to value, how we're supposed to trust. It takes a lot to translate that. It takes a lot of discipline to actively translate that into the way that we live our lives. That's what we got to do. If we're going to be people who stay focused, stay on purpose, we've got to translate what God's told us about himself and the ways that he showed us he works in the world. We've got to translate it into the way we live our lives and just stay focused on him. Now, I want to make the point here. Every single one of us can be disciplined. Every single one of us. You know, I made a statement, you know, it says, it, it, you know, if you're going to be a person who stays on pur- focus, stays on purpose, you're going to be successful in the eyes of God. You've got to be disciplined. It's not going to happen w- without being disciplined. And many of you say, oh, I'm just not a disciplined person. I just follow this and follow that. I want to tell you, every single one of us can be disciplined. In fact, I would tell you already that you are disciplined. It was interesting when, you know how kids are little, you know, younger kids, you know, our, our, our older son, I remember him telling us, you know, I can't memorize Spanish words. I just can't do it. Can't man- memorize Spanish. This is a kid who, like, memorized the entire Guinness Book of World Records related to baseball stuff. You know, he'd lie in bed at night reading through the book, and he could quote you who had the highest batting average in 1961. And the kid's, like, nine years old, you know, and it's like, you know, he could memorize it, but he just, he was disciplined. He just didn't care about Spanish, right? You know, he said, I don't like to read. But we the new Harry Potter book or some other book would come out and he'd go in his, his room and just cave for days until it was all done. But I hate to read. You know, it's hard for me. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, all of us, we're, we're good at something. You know, you, you know you, you, some of you are amazed at how good your children are at video games. You know, they're up to the 119th level or some, some things, you know, and, and you're, you're just watching these things jump around the screen. You know, that's because it takes hours and hours and hours of practice for their thumbs, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, you know, my kids try to get me to play like, you know, NFL football with them on these video games, and I'm, I'm hitting the wrong, my guy's going this way, and he's supposed to go in that way, and et cetera, you know. But they spend it for hours doing that stuff, because they care about it. Every single one of you is good at something. The way you got there is because you were disciplined at it. You worked at it. Every single one of us can be disciplined. Every single one of us can stay on purpose and be successful in the eyes of God. I was reading a book a couple months ago. And the guy remembered telling a story about this. He was mentoring this young man who was in college. And the young man, and, and he was headed to an appointment. And as he was to meet the guy, and as he was going by, this, this, he saw this young man. He was on a golf team at the university there in their city. And, and it was sleeting out. It was like, you know, 38 degrees and sleeting. And this kid's standing out on the golf range. On the, on the golf range and he's hitting buckets and buckets of balls in the sleet, you know, just to get better. And then he, he wraps up and he goes and he meets this guy at this meeting. And he, and, he, and he says to the guy, he says, you know, he says, I just really need discipline in my life. And the guy just sort of breaks down laughing. He says, you're already disciplined. What were you just doing? I saw you on the way over here. 
You're out in the sleet hitting golf balls so you'll be the best player you can be. You don't have a problem with discipline. You just have a problem with what you're disciplined about. And that's based upon what you treasure. See, Jesus understood that we were going to face distractions. But he wanted us to be ready with them. Because he, more than anyone, wants us to be successful. To live with the end in mind. You will not be eternally successful unless you could become truly competent, completely competent, competent in valuing what God values. And in that spirit, Jesus says to them in this passage and to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things about success, they'll be added unto you. Will you seek the kingdom of God this morning? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. God, I, I, as I continue just to, to work through the scriptures, I am amazed at your incredible passion for us to live successful lives. Lives that are abundant, full, meaningful, eternally rich. Ones that are destined to be greeted with a well-done, good and faithful servant. Father, we pray that you would show us what really is the treasures of our heart right now. What we really treasure in life. And if it's not you, and the great wisdom and treasures that are available in Christ, like Colossians tells us, we'd invite you to change our hearts. Change our treasure so that our hearts could be with you. It starts with faith, we know, O Lord. Accepting your grace and forgiveness into our lives. But it takes discipline to repent and to walk with you. Thank you for your invitation for us to seek you first in all of your righteousness so that all of these things can be added unto our lives. And we celebrate that today in the name of the one who made it possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?